difference between Joel and Steve and my generation, <laughs> right here. Now, Joel, I, whenever I was sitting there, I heard the Lord say that there is a mantle of wisdom on you, and it's going to increase and embolden you in the days ahead, and you'll walk in wisdom that is unknown to you at this moment, but when you walk, you will fill that mantle in the days and the times to come, says the Lord. Also, whenever I was preparing... Uh, I don't want to get too far into everything because I have an advertisement here. But let me do my advertisement before I get moving. Uh, Hannah's Hope, God just put it on my heart to have a connection with this pastor from Beaver Falls. His name is Dr. Mark Ongley. And Dr. Mark has a church, and most of the people in his church are probably people that I have seen on the fourth floor, the behavioral health floor. Many are recovering from drug and alcohol addiction. He's a passionate man of God, just a tender-hearted man. And he was trained in what, was, what is called formational prayer. And it's healing. He's a counselor as well, as a pastor. He has his doctorate, as I said. But we are having four sessions of learning how to minister healing to others from the formational prayer perspective and using his, um, his credentials of the past as a uh, counselor. He's going to add, bring all of that in, which is going to be awesome. We'll have booklets for everybody, but there is a cost. Uh, the cost for the first one, it's the initial one. It will be at Wildwood Chapel. Uh, September 30th from 8.30 to 3.30. And by the way, thanks to your church, we are offering child care. But I have to know that in advance. So if you would let me know that, your children would like to be involved. That's a Saturday. Then we would be happy to host them that day. Now, the other three seminars, this is so wonderful. Uh, we are having the next one, which will be November 11th, will be at First Presbyterian Church in Beaver. The next one will be here at Crestmont in March. And then we'll go back to Beaver at a church, Trinity Episcopal Church in Beaver will hold the last one. What a wonderful coming together of the body of Christ in the region. We're just thrilled about that. I know a lot of things have been happening in Aliquippa but now we're coming, the bigger body of Christ is coming together. So I have extra ones of these. Register online, register by mail, whichever way you desire. This one is $25. Every other one will be $50 each because of the materials you'll be getting, plus we have to pay our speaker. Uh, so I invite you to that. It's a wonderful gift to the body of Christ in Beaver County, getting us ready for the days ahead. Now, I feel like I have a word from the Lord for the church, but this morning as I was just worshiping the Lord, I felt that the Lord had a word before the word. So I want to give you this word. He is filled with words. I don't know if you know it, but women are too. <laughs> and I'll get to that. But it's as if God said to me, tell them. Now, I heard you talk about today 
I heard you talk about tomorrow. And God spoke to me today about time. And he said to me to tell them it's time. It's a time of love. It's a time of singing. It's a time of God's favor. It's a time of jubilee. It's a time of comfort. It's a time of healing. It's a time of freedom. What all of this means is that we're moving into revival. God spoke to me about a month or so ago before we had June Evans come in with Hannah's Hope for the Women. And the Lord said to me in church during worship that the water was ankle deep. So if you're familiar with Ezekiel's prophecy, I think it's 37, he talks about the ankle, the knee, the waist, and then we go floating in the water. It talks about the river of God coming our way. And uh, so I just want to give you that before I get any further and say it's time. There were some scriptures, by the way, that I put with that. Let me just get them for a minute. Uh, One was Ezekiel 16, and he said, And when I passed by you, I saw that you were struggling. I'm just skipping over some of the verses. Uh, I made you thrive like a plant in the field, and you grew, matured, and became very beautiful. When I passed you again and looked upon you, indeed, your time was a time of love. So I spread my wing over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swore an oath to you and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine, says the Lord. That all went with, it is time for all of these things. God is coming. He's heard our prayers. He's heard our groans and our moans and our murmurings. He's heard it all, and he says, I'm coming down in a time of favor to visit my people. Another scripture, which has been a favorite of mine, comes out of Isaiah 51, verse 3. It says, For the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all of her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Four things are going to be found there in your life. Joy, gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving, and a voice of melody. I wish I could tell you all the stories, but I'm going to tell you one, and I hope I don't embarrass my family that's here. But our, our two boys, I want to tell you a story about the song, the melody, the voice of melody, because God gives us a song in the night. He gives us a song in seasons many times to come and grab hold of us, to draw us close to himself. And one Sunday, we came home from church, all five of the children. <laughs> and our two boys were tobogganing out on our property. And our, our one son, I'm not going to name names, our one son had an accident. And do you know who he is? <laughs> you know the story? And his head hit this petrified post that is on our property, and his head was split open. Well, the children were screaming, came into the house and told us what happened. My husband, who, thank the Lord, is a doctor at the hospital, former, um, 
said, here, you hold his head together with this towel, and, and I'll drive. So we're, we're going like this to the hospital. And he said, okay, you can go. He and Dr. Cuddy were going to take care of everything. And so I went home, uh, but I stopped at the store, our little, little store, to get Paul some goodies while I was heading home. And while I was there, I'm, I'm telling this woman about what happened. But I said, there was a song in my heart. I was singing all day. There was a melody coming out of my heart all day. And I'm telling her what happened to our poor son, how he's in the hospital right now, getting stitches in his head, 34 or something. How many? We lost count. We lost count. Something like 30. Do you remember? 34 stitches, we'll just say that, in his head, the back of his head. No concussion, nothing. That was Sunday. He comes home that day, didn't have to stay in the hospital. Monday morning, he's dribbling the basketball in the house. He's in a, maybe fourth grade. He has a turban around his head, and he's as normal as normal can be. It was the blessing of the Lord, but it was the song that God had given me to protect. I can tell you a lot of stories, but this is one. To protect, that's what a song does many times. So uh, my husband said, well, go ahead, let him go to school. Tuesday, he went to school with a turban around his head and had a wonderful day. So I kneeled down at my couch after all the children went to school, and I just began to weep. And I began to praise the Lord. Well, God had been giving me a word from the scripture, and the word was delight. Most of them were found in Psalm 119. And I'm just saying, Lord, you were such a delight to me, and I got my word, and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, your, your laws are my delight. And I'm saying these things, Lord, you were such a delight to me, and all of a sudden, a melody from heaven comes. And I hear a melody, and I hear the words that say this. And this was 30 years ago, somewhere in that realm. I delight, I don't know if I can sing it. I delight in you, O oh Lord. I delight, I delight in you. You place a song within my heart. It shall remain and not depart. I delight, I delight in you. And that was the melody. It was the delight part. I added the other parts because it stopped. I delight, I delight in you, O Lord. I delight, I delight in you. And I learned a long time ago how right this scripture was. Joy and gladness will be found in it. Thanksgiving and a voice of melody. Beautiful is the Lord. Uh, one other scripture I wanted to share with you, and I haven't even gotten into where I'm going yet. And this is from the Song of Solomon. This comes from the second chapter, where the Lord is speaking. Well, let me just say a few things about the Song of Solomon. It can be read in lots of different ways as a, a mutual love between a husband and a wife. It has to do with Israel, God and his love for the people of Israel and the Jewish nation. But the way we look at the Song of Solomon today and through the church is Christ's love for the church. He is the bridegroom and we are the bride. So it's as if the bridegroom is saying to his church, 
Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. For lo, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth, and here's the word again, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree puts forth her green figs, and the vines with the tender grapes give a good smell. Rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. It's a call to God, from God to keep coming, keep coming. With that, I will get into my notes. Look how I was a former school teacher, could you guess? I love pencil and paper. Uh, and so, and I love notebooks, and I love books, so that's what I do. It's my generation, and I embrace it. On the radio about a year or so ago, I was listening to Focus on the Family wherever I was traveling. And I heard something that just caught my attention, and I laughed so hard. And I said, I've got to find out more about this. I never did, but I always remembered it. And the man was talking to the interviewer, and he was saying, men are like waffles. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard that before, but men process life in boxes, is what he was saying, like waffles. Now, I wish I had known that many years ago, <laughs> that men's thinking is divided in squares and in sections. Now, this is what they say, and that each box holds one issue. So, when a man is at work, he's working, he's focused. When a man is fishing, he's focused on fishing. When a man is watching TV, he's watching TV and you, the rest of us, are tuned out because he is focused on that thing. Wonderful. So I began to understand now, after all these years, that it's hard for a man to jump out of his box and follow women. I didn't realize I was married to a jack-in-a-box. You are too, all of you women here. Mine is a Paul-in-a-box. <laughs> But let's get to the woman. Women, he said, are like spaghetti. <laughs> Women process life like a plate of spaghetti. Women's thinking is made up of many individual thoughts, and they all touch each other. Oops, sorry. And they all intersect one another. Every thought, every emotion, every conviction, every decision, is interconnected in some way. Now, I never understood that either. I didn't realize that I could start over here and end up over here, and, and my jack-in-the-box wasn't following me because he didn't know how to get out of the box in order to get over here. So that's sort of how men and women look. And then it says, that I read somewhere that research shows that men's brains are approximately 10% larger than a female's brain. Maybe that's where we got this little saying, he's got a big head. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But it, then in the female, there are certain brain areas that have more nerve cells. And I'm wondering if we got the saying, she gets on my nerves, 
from that. I really don't know, I, I, but I wanted to bring all that together to say that my husband and I have been married for over 50 years. I thank God for that. And what happens as you get older is that your lives begin to intersect more than they were in the beginning. You begin to assimilate after years and growing together. You begin to think alike, act alike. Uh, some people even dress alike. We are, our decisions are more alike. Our conclusions are more one. We're more in tune with one another. Our actions and desires meld into more of a oneness and a unity. And knowing things about your spouse brings security and confidence in a love relationship. Similarly, just as two streams, like people, come together, two streams make a river, so our spirits become one with God's spirit. That's his desire and his design. So that his will becomes our will. His desires become our desires. His passion becomes the fire within us that burns. So the way into a deep union with Christ is to sanctify our wants and desires and immerse those wants and desires into his. The result is what he wants will be what we want too. It's that oneness. And the Song of Solomon shows us that so beautifully, whether it's a husband and wife relationship or whether it's Christ loving the church, it's the same thing. You and I were physically, emotionally, and spiritually we were called to live in love. And we, we saw in some way in the Song of Solomon that we were created for love. On the fourth floor uh, of the hospital, people hungering and thirsting to know what love is all about. Uh, and so, Lord willing, I bring that love every Sunday through the word of God, through prayer, and any means that I can help them be successful in life in just that short time that I'm there. When we think of the, the Song of Solomon, it is this, and I saw four things in particular uh, that I wrote down. And one is a Christian's longing for love, to know love, to be loved, to embrace love, to understand love, to just walk in love. When my husband and I had our 50th anniversary and our family all came in for the celebration, I gave each one of them something that I had accumulated over the years from commentaries and others. I carry it around with me because it's always good to have. But it's on 1 Corinthians 13. And the explanations that are used there, and one of the things... Uh, as we hunger after it, Paul says, pursue love. He says that in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Pursue it. Go after it. Sometimes he overwhelms us, but we are to pursue because he is love, and when we pursue love, we pursue him, a person. And in the beginning of Paul's um, little mini-series in 1 Corinthians 13, he says, love 
suffers long and is kind. In this generation that we live right now, these words would be something good for us, not just to memorize, but to understand in greater measure. We're seeing so many difficult times in this, in this time in which we live. We don't know what the future holds, but when we can find our refuge in the one who loves us, that then no matter what happens to us, we're going to be okay. But I love what it says about love suffers long. Here's what it's, uh, I found this in a commentary somewhere, where love is having patience with imperfect people, enduring neglect while waiting for reform. Isn't that beautiful? Love is kind. Love is active in doing good toward others and looking for opportunities to promote acts of kindness. And then it goes on. Love, I will, it's worth the study. And if you're interested, we can just run off some papers. You, you don't have to do the study. It's right there. And all you have to do is go to prayer and say, Lord, work this in me. Let it become a part of my life. And I keep it with me because there are times when I need to go back to it and just go there and say, Lord, I'm missing it right here. Because none of us would be perfect until we get to see him. So we long for love, and we long to know what love is all about. The other thing that the Song of Solomon talks about are the struggles. The struggles in life, the struggles we need to overcome. We need to overcome our flesh. And we see that in the song. She gets too tired to get up to open the door for our beloved, for her beloved. Uh, and then the other thing she has to come overcome are people. And she talks about them in the Song of Solomon. Those are two big things beside the demonic that we have to overcome in life. In that book also are tender words that awaken us to love. Words that are spoken by both the Shulamite and Solomon who, who, Solomon who wrote the words. But it awakens us to say, wow, does God love me that much? One of the scriptures I love in Song 3-4 says, When I found the one I love, this is, my, this is my scripture. When I found the one I love, now beside my husband, that's the, the Lord, I held him and would not let him go. Hold him tight. Don't let him go. And yet that's only in the third chapter, and she does let him go, and other things happen. Interesting. I remember uh, whenever I studied Song of Solomon in the fourth chapter, this was so fascinating. In all, from one to right before the end of the fourth chapter, you see her talking about her garden. I always assumed that the garden was the garden of my heart, and it is. And so I looked at it like that because it said that things would grow in it. So I made it a garden, and it's spoken in the Song of Solomon as a garden. But one of the things that is so interesting at the end of the fourth chapter is she always, always is talking about her garden, her garden. She's preparing it, preparing the garden. And then all of a sudden she says, come, my beloved, into your garden. 
total submission and surrender to the one that she was holding on to, that one tight, tightly held in her arms. All of a sudden, I'm yours. Now, not that she doesn't miss it some more. She does, as we all do. But total surrender is how we really come close to God. It's all about intimacy. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 6, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. I want to bring you to the word acknowledge because the word acknowledge is in the, in the Hebrew uh, a word that means yada, to know, to know. Now, I'm seeing you today. You're seeing me. We're getting to know one another. I know my husband intimately, and he knows me that way. My family knows me more intimately, but my husband and I know us the most intimate of all. And God spiritually wants to bring us into that place of intimacy with him that we might hear the word of the Lord, that he might speak to our hearts, that, he might, that we might hear him say, I love you. You are everything that the scripture says is true about you. All those things. And so as you move on to understand yada, to know, there is a high, a high place uh, that is spiritual, and it's a life-giving intimacy. Uh, I'm thinking about John 10.10 10, when Jesus said, I've come to give you life and that more abundant. There is that in intimacy. Yada is a spiritual in a spiritual context, suggests an intimacy with God in prayer that births blessings and victories. And that's the absolute truth. I gave you an example earlier of the toboggan accident. Intimacy with God, when I began to hear the song from heaven and I joined my heart with the song of heaven or the words that I hear from heaven, those are life-giving, they're birthing words, they're birthing blessings and victories. Hosea 2 says this, I will marry you to me forever. Yes, I will marry you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and mercy. I will marry you to me in faithfulness, and you will know, yada, the Lord. An intimacy with God. The name of my ministry is Hannah's Hope International Ministries. God gave me the ministry when I had come back from a conference in Arizona. And the speaker spoke on Hannah and the birthing of a gift, but she never named the gift. The gift was eventually Samuel. So when I got home, I looked over my notes. And as I'm looking over my notes, everybody's at school. The Holy Spirit enters the room. And I hear the Holy Spirit say, I want to give you a ministry. I never asked for a ministry. I, I didn't even know it was a possibility in my day as a woman in particular. And I just wept 
as he entered the room, and I said yes. And then he lingered, and I knew he wanted to name it. And I said, Holy Spirit, what do you want to name it? And he said, Hannah's Hope. I said, okay. So when it's all over and I'm done crying, I said, now what? What do I do with this? <laughs> so I added on international ministries because I was traveling at the time. I did a couple prayer journeys to um, different places outside the country. And so I added the international ministries because I wanted to, it to say, H-H-I-M. It's all about him. It's all about you, Lord. I want this ministry to be all about you. So I began to study through the years. And by the way, Hannah's Hope is a mentoring and equipping ministry because that's what I do. <laughs> I just lined it up with what I did. But it's so interesting because Hannah, as found in 1 Samuel 1, tells us such a story about what we've been coming up with so far. Hannah is a barren woman. Now, I understand barrenness, not as far as the fruit of the womb is concerned, but in other areas of my life, very barren as I was growing in the Lord, watching others, experiencing things, and there was always a hunger in me to say, Lord, Whoa, am I, I'm way behind. I need to catch up. Would you take me there? I need this um, grace in my life. Would you work that in and through me? I am not one typically who has a mercy gift. So I remember when God showed me my weakness and I said, Oh God, work this compassion and mercy and love in me so that I might give it away. So I know barrenness. We don't have to be barren just because we're not married or because we don't have children. Barrenness comes in many ways, but in Hannah's case, she was unable to have children. Now, in her day, barrenness was an extreme tragedy for a married Hebrew woman, and the Bible calls it that there was a reproach upon her People were pointing at her, talking behind her back, and many, many, some of you may be able to identify with that, uh, talking and saying, she must have sinned. That's why God's not opening her womb. Bearing no children meant that her husband had no heir. And in those days, if you didn't have an have any children behind you. There was no one to carry on the family name. And there was no one to inherit the possessions of the father that he would give to his oldest son in particular. Most often, women, like Hannah, lived in insecurity and humiliation. I remember those days. But Hannah was a praying woman. That was her saving grace. And you and I, no matter where we are in life, the saving grace is prayer, an intimate prayer with God. She entrusted the longings of her heart to God. She sought God for what only he could do. She could not produce, and none of us can produce either in any way we do what Hannah does and entrusts 
entrust our cares and our longings and our desires to him so that he can do the work in us. Hannah's dependence was on God alone. And her humility brought results that were bigger than she could even have imagined. God used, now here's the key, God used the burden of Hannah's heart to bring a, to bring a larger solution to his heart. It says in that first chapter, she said, God closed my womb. She knew it. God allowed it to happen, but it was for purpose. So God used the burden of Hannah's heart to bring a larger solution to his heart. Barrenness was not only Hannah's condition, it was Israel's condition. They were barren. They had walked away from the Lord, and they didn't even know it. They felt satisfied where they were. And God was calling them back because of this vessel on earth who was willing to pray, cry, intercede in ways that would bring something forth over here in God's time and in God's way. Hannah was not aware that her intense intercession for a child was moving in concert with God. That's beautiful. You have no idea when you pray what's happening in the heavenlies many times. Her prayers and intercession brought forth, remember I just talked to you about Yada bringing forth blessings and victories. Well, her prayers and intercession and that Yada time with God brought her a son. Her prayers and intercession also brought forth the will and blessing of God to a whole nation. We have no idea when we pray what's going on. So I want to help you as I close uh, just to bring in Psalm 63 to help you journey in life and show you how to get, if I haven't already, how to get where each one of us needs to go. David was in a very difficult time in his life. His son Absalom wanted to take over the kingship. And so David and his men left. David was king. And here's Absalom, the rebel, coming. He loved Absalom. But Absalom was a fake. He was a deceiver. He deceived his father. He tried to say to his father, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to follow the Lord. But he knew in his heart he wasn't going to. He deceived the people in following him. Oh, I care more about you than David does. It was all a lie. So David is gone uh, from uh, Jerusalem and the house of God that he had built. And now his son is coming in to take his place and to take his kingship, his crown. And David is crying out to God. One of the stories we read in the scriptures, beautiful, is Psalm 23, a revelation of who God is in this difficult time that he's in. He writes, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now I want to show you something that David teaches us 
As I close, Paul said that I might know him. Psalm 63 expresses to us how David approaches God in one way, in one fashion, and I want to help you. He says in the beginning, O God, you are my God. Now, I'm saying it very calmly, but that's not how David said it. He said, O God, you are my God. He had to encourage himself, and we need to do that. We can live in lethargy for a long time if we allow ourselves. And what he does is he declares his faith. God, you are my God. He had a bold assurance in knowing in whom he had believed. And there are times, whether you're in, in quiet prayer, when you're in a group, however, wherever you are, you need to be bold and you need to declare who God is to you. And then he says, when he says, you are my God, he is saying that I'll have no other gods before me. Exodus 20, first one, first commandment. You are my God. He confesses allegiance to one God only. In America, there are gods all over the place. And then, so we declare who God is, and then um, he says, early will I seek you. I remember getting up at 4.30 in the morning when our children were little. It was, <laughs> it was hard, but I was so hungry. I was so needy. I longed for him. I longed to find him. I longed to find answers. I longed to grow in Christ and come close to him. It was the desire of my heart, so I got up early. <laughs> and David said, early, I will seek you. <laughs> he just goes out there and says it. His eagerness draws him to meet with God, and God is there to meet him. Communion with God was his heart's desire. He consecrates every morning of his life to prayer and fellowship. He made many mistakes in life, as most of you know. So he was learning from his mistakes like we all do. And then he says, my soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you. And I don't have the rest of it. In a dry and thirsty land. When we live, remember that scripture I gave you in uh, Isaiah 51? Talks about a desert. It talks about a wilderness. And that's where I was in my life. And I wanted to go over to where the waters were. I wanted to go where the, the Garden of Eden was, where the waters flowed. That's where I wanted to go. And this is the way that I found to get there. When we hunger and thirst for God and his desires, then he brings a stream of life our way. And things began to flow, begin to flow. Um, we have a craving if in our hearts if we let God, if we allow him to flow. He wants to flow. Uh, there is a hunger. There is a thirst that he wants us to have. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be filled, says Jesus in Matthew 5 in the Beatitudes. 
So there is a hunger that we need. We become united in oneness with God when we long to see him and abide in him. As my husband and I get older, there is a longing in my heart. And sometimes we talk about dying because those are the things you do when you get older. You talk about those times. When people have been married and divorced or when they've become a widow or widower, we have no idea what the transformation that happens in the hearts of those or those divorced, I should include, those killed, whatever happens, when we lose a loved one, and it hasn't happened, I mean, we have a good, <laughs> uh, but you think about those things. You begin to think about those things as you get older. There was a song that I heard years ago. Or is my time up? You're good. Okay. I'm, <laughs> and I'll just finish with this. I said a while back I was finishing, but I'll finish with this. There was a song I heard, can't remember where or when. It was, uh, it, it was a long time ago. But I remember writing down the title of it and looking it up in an old hymnal that I have at our home. It's called Near to the Heart of God. It was written by a man named Cleland McAfee. I'll tell you the story after I give you the words. It goes like this. I know it anyway. I won't sing it. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God a place where sin cannot molest, near to the heart of God. O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who wait before you near to the heart of God. Always wanted that. I said, Lord, draw me into the heart of God. You wonder how people hear things from the Lord? Intimacy with the Lord. Let me tell you, though, what I found out about this song. I wanted it for growing in Christ and coming closer to him. But this hymn was born out of tragedy. This man, Cleland McAfee, was a preacher and a choir director of the campus Presbyterian Church at Park College in Missouri. And I'm going to going to read what his daughter wrote. The family in town, now it, look at the picture this builds of a, a community. The family in town were stricken with grief. My father often told us how he sat long and late thinking of what could be said in word and song on Sunday morning. So he wrote the little song. The choir learned it at the regular Saturday night rehearsal and afterward they went to Howard, which was Cleland's brother, so this would have been his nieces, something happened to his nieces, to Howard's home and sang it as they stood under the sky outside the darkened quarantined house. And what had happened to the two young babies that were born, the infants, they had contacted diphtheria, and this was in 1903. And so here is this song. There is a place 
I, I have to find the words because I think I'm going to forget it. There is a place of quiet rest, and they're singing this outside the house, dark, dark at night, and they're out there singing. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God, a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God. And this song is bringing comfort and waves of healing began to come into this family because of that song. There is much in you. And God wants to use you for the days ahead. Revival is on its way. Strengthen yourself as David did. Get a song and sing it all day long. Let it become your song. Let it become a melody that you sing to the Lord and ask him to come down and visit you. He's going to do that corporately, but to do it individually is an awesome gift. May I pray? Father, thank you for the preciousness of who you are and the beauty of your son and his love that he showed upon the cross and upon this world in which we live. I pray today, because it says that love never ceases and it never stops, there's no quenching of it, Lord, that we are to pursue it, it never fails. So I pray that a blanket of love would fall upon this church and upon every member here. And I pray for such change to happen that love would not only be found by them, but it would lead the way, taking them beyond this place to others who need you. Lord, I bless this time and these people and this leadership in this house, in Jesus' name, amen.